Good morning. I think I'm going to do the Bible reading for us. Uh, Before I do that, I'm going to sneak in uh, a quick uh, notice. I'm also going to open my Bible app on my iPad. Uh, But I'm going to sneak in a quick notice uh, about small groups here at St Stephen's. Uh, When you came in this morning in your uh, little packet of information, you should have got a slip of paper like this, which is uh, says Bible Study Groups 2018. Uh, Many of you know full well the value of Bible study groups. Don't need to convince you of that. Uh, If if you've been around church life at all, whether it's St Stephen's or somewhere else, you probably know what small groups are about, so I'm not going to rehash all of that, except to say uh, they're a great way. uh, We talked about dinners for eight, which is a great one-off thing. Uh, Bible study groups are a great way over the course of a whole year uh, to spend time getting to know other people in your church. If you look around, there's lots of people here. You can't get to know everyone on a Sunday morning. So Bible study groups are a great way to do that. Obviously a great way to spend time in God's Word during the week, thinking more deeply about God's Word together and sharing your life with people, uh, being able to pray for one another, being able to support one another through all the ups and downs of life. Uh, So if you are not part of a small group at the moment and you think you'd like to be or you'd just like some more information, could I ask you to fill that out? Hopefully you've got something to fill it out with. Uh, There's pens up the back if you don't have one on you. You could pop it in uh, the offertory bags. It will come around a bit later on. Or you could find me after we finish up uh, and hand it to me if that's easier. So I'll just leave that with you uh, and encourage you that if you'd like to be part of our small group ministry, we'd we'd love to help you make that happen. So let's uh, read God's word together. From 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. 
and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Let's pray before we think about God's word together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have spoken to us. And this morning, as we think about this part of your word, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to obey. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if someone asked you to describe the difference between the God of the Bible and the gods of other religions, what would you say? What would the difference be? How would you describe the difference between the God of the Bible and other gods? Now, you might think that's a strange question with a simple answer because if you're a Christian, you probably think that's easy. One exists, the other don't. That's true, but is there anything more that we could say? How would the Bible paint an answer to that question for us? There's a few different things we could touch on, but one of the key categories that the Bible takes us to is to think about prayer. The Bible paints a picture where one way you can distinguish the true God from false gods is that the one true God is a God who answers prayer. There is one God, he is sovereign over everything, and yet in his graciousness, in his kindness, in his fatherly relationship to us, one of the ways he acts in the world is by answering prayer. Now, in some ways, as I thought about this sermon this morning, I thought of this a little bit as a refresher on prayer as the year starts, because the year's only just beginning, routines are still getting sorted for a lot of us. And then I thought, is that quite right? Because it's almost the middle of February. Is the year still starting? I don't even know. So I decided in the end, any time's a good time to think about prayer. Forget the calendar. We're just going to look at what this passage says. And the passage that we're looking at this morning does show us the utter futility of following a false god or praying to a false god versus the power of the real God to answer prayer, to hear us when we call on him, to act in the world, to save his people and to glorify himself. So the passage we're looking at comes from uh, 1 Kings in the Old Testament, part of the unfolding history of the nation of Israel. And the section we're looking at is near a bigger section that focuses on, or it's near the beginning of a bigger section, 
that focuses on the life and ministry of Elijah. Now, Elijah comes onto the scene at the start of the previous chapter from what we're reading, and we don't have time to look over his whole life now, but if you read through it, you'll see just how much prayer is a crucial part of the ministry and the life of Elijah. And the passage we're looking at today in chapter 18 is set up as a a confrontation, if you like, between Elijah and Ahab. Now, Ahab is the king of Israel, but he is a terrible king. He is a terrible king, primarily because he has gone all the way down the path of rejecting Yahweh, the God of Israel, and following and worshipping and serving Baal, who was one of the, the gods of the Phoenicians, one of the other nations around Israel. And we're told, in fact, in 1 Kings 16, Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement. This is not a good character that we're looking at here in this clash. And Ahab has obviously been following the ministry of Elijah as he started to come onto the scene because he, he says at the beginning of this whole thing in chapter 18, he looks at Elijah and says, you are a troubler of Israel. He accuses him of being a troubler of Israel, quite ironically, considering where he has taken Israel. And so Elijah responds by essentially challenging Ahab to this showdown that we read about on Mount Carmel. And so he says to Ahab, okay, you're a follower of Baal. You think Baal is the true God, one to be worshipped and served. Gather the 450 prophets of Baal. Gather 400 other prophets of this other false god, Asherah, and let's see what happens. And so it's 450 prophets of Baal against one prophet of Yahweh, Elijah versus the world. And the showdown is, Take two bulls, take one for each god, lay it out on wood and call on your god to burn up the sacrifice with fire. And the one that does it is the one true god. So Baal gets first crack at it. Cut your bull into pieces, lay it on the wood, call on Baal to answer with fire. And that's what they do. That's what the prophets do. All morning, these 450 prophets call on Baal to answer them and to show his power. Nothing happens. And they they dance around the altar and nothing happens. And and Elijah sits back and he's watching this fairly pitiful scene and he starts to taunt them, he starts to mock them. He says, maybe your God's busy, which, as we saw in the version I read from, actually is, maybe your God's going to the toilet. That's a pretty good mockery. Uh, He says, maybe he's travelling, maybe he's thinking, maybe he's asleep. And so the prophets of Baal, they shout louder, they, they start cutting themselves with swords, it's pretty grotesque. They're certainly serious. They're trying desperately to appease Baal and to get something to come from him. The blood is flowing. But if you know the gospel, well, the gospel is about blood being shed. But it's not blood being shed by people so that God will be pleased with us. It's blood being shed by God himself so that we can approach God. That works. But human beings running around cutting themselves up and shedding their blood, that doesn't work, especially when you're praying to a false god, which doesn't help either. And so all day long they continue this spectacle until we get that dramatic summary in verse 29. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. It is a dramatic summary, and it's a dramatic scene, and it's meant to be pitiful and all those kinds of things, And yet we could step back and think, 
there are false gods in the world today, like Baal. Not exactly like Baal, but there can be false gods in the sense that we human beings can find ourselves crying out to created objects or to created ideas or to created things. Save me. Do something for me. Give me, give me peace. Give me pleasure. Give me happiness. Give me joy. We can find ourselves crying out to something that's not God to give us what we want. And when we do that, it may feel good for a while to, to chase after something else. It may be easier than following the one true God because the gods that we invent are less demanding on us. But in the end, the answer from anything that we choose to invest ourselves in or chase after other than the one true God is going to be no response. No one will answer. No one will pay attention. That's what the prophets of Baal found. Baal failed to answer prayer. And then along comes Elijah. 450 prophets have failed. One man thinks he has a chance. And because the odds aren't stacked against Yahweh and Elijah enough, he decides to douse the whole thing in water three times. This soaking wet ball and wood and everything around it is just soaking wet. How is it ever going to burn up? This is impossible. And then in verse 36, Elijah prays. He prays a very simple and God-centered prayer. Just look at it again with me there. Verse 36, Elijah prays, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then in verse 38, Yahweh's power is shown and he has a victory. The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. It is complete, it is perfect, it is absolute. There is no room for doubt about who is the true God. Yahweh hears the prayer of his servant and he does the seemingly impossible. The false god Baal, the false worship that Ahab and Israel have gone down the path of is exposed and the truth about the power of the one true God is revealed to Israel once again. Now there are lots of ways you could think about this whole incident but for me my mind went to two different parts of the New Testament. The first one is the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Now the Lord's Prayer is certainly the best known prayer in history, the most prayed prayer in history, so it's easy to take it for granted. One of the things that's so striking about the Lord's Prayer is its simplicity. It is, it's a short prayer. In fact, the very context that Jesus teaches it is to say, don't think you can manipulate God by long, fancy prayers. Now, that doesn't do anything extra to please God. That's not more likely to pull a response from him. Prayer is simple, it is heartfelt, it is childlike dependence. That's what Jesus teaches in the Lord's Prayer. If you compare the, the desperate efforts of the prophet of Baal, cutting themselves, praying for hours, dancing, using all of their human power, and yet they get absolutely nowhere. And yet because Elijah knows the one true God, he can pray with 
a beautiful simplicity. That's what Christian prayer is like. Not simplistic, but simple in its childlike trust in God. We have a loving Father who longs to hear from us. Martin Luther said, Christian prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it is taking hold of his willingness. We have a God who longs to hear from us and so we can pray with beautiful simplicity. And the reason Christian prayer can be beautifully simple is because when we pray, our focus isn't on us and exactly what we're doing. Our focus is on the one who hears and answers our prayers. And that's the the second place that my mind went as I thought about this to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's Paul's description of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? He can't do a little bit more than all we ask or imagine. He can do immeasurably more. And it's not just then we ask, it's then we ask or imagine. Paul is just saying he can do anything. And the context of that in Ephesians is that he's just been praying for the Ephesians, so it's clear that his mind is focused on prayer as he says this. And so I wonder, can we, can we just ask ourselves, do we believe those things about our God? Do we believe that God is willing to hear us when we pray, longing to hear from us? Do we believe that we can approach him with this beautiful childlike simplicity and trust, not worrying about techniques, not worrying about whipping ourselves up into a frenzy, whether we speak in tongues or not, whether we have a beautiful prayer space with essential oils and candles, whether we get ourselves using just the right words. It's about childlike trusting God. And do we believe that when we pray, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It doesn't mean that God is a, a genie in a bottle, does it? It doesn't mean that you know prayer is this technique and we just unlock God's power and everything's going to happen exactly as we want it to. Sometimes we'll pray and the answer will be no or not yet. And we might not know why because God is still sovereign. And yet the privilege and the power of prayer may be greater than any other privilege or any other power in the universe. Now, you might hear all of that and you might think, okay, well, that's, that's all very well, but do you really expect me to learn about prayer by comparing myself to Elijah? I mean, he is this extraordinary prophet at this extraordinary moment in history, and that's a good question to ask because we're not Elijah, so we do need to step back and say he's, he's pretty special in God's plans. But we may actually be more like Elijah than we realise. In fact, that's the point that the New Testament makes for us in one important passage where it refers to Elijah. So look with me, if you would, at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. I'm going to pick this up from verse 13, just read through some of this quickly uh, to give a bit of context. So James chapter 5 from verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now that raises a lot of questions, I know, but the big point is clear. Prayer is always the right response to any situation. Prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. And verse 16 may make you say, hang on a sec, do I have to be a super righteous person like Elijah for my prayers to actually make any difference? Well, look at what James says next. In verse 17, James says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. A little bit more literally, that says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. James doesn't want you to see the difference between you and Elijah, like the super righteous people and the rest of us ordinary Christians. He wants you to see the similarity. Because what he's saying is, Elijah is just like you. The, the key to Elijah's prayers being answered, which he goes on and describes in verse 17 and 18 and other incidents you read about in Elijah's life, the key to Elijah's prayers being answered wasn't that he was something different from us. The key was he was just like us and he prayed fervently. James doesn't want us to focus on the difference between us and Elijah. He wants us to focus on the similarity between us and Elijah. And so, strictly speaking, if we talk about the power of prayer, we, we haven't quite said it right, have we? That the power is not prayer. I mean, 450 prophets dancing and running around all day, cutting themselves, that has to be pretty powerful, right? No, it, it did nothing. It's not so much that prayer is powerful, it's that God is powerful. And in his kindness, in his graciousness, in his character, God is kind enough to allow us to pray to him, to bring our requests to him, to, to express our trust in him through prayer. And he promises to hear and to answer. And so we're not being encouraged to be exactly like Elijah in his ministry or in trying to emulate everything about him, but we are being encouraged to be like Elijah in his fervour for prayer. As, as an outworking of his trust in God. Friends, when you put all that together, it is, it is difficult to overstate the importance of prayer in the Christian life. Difficult to overstate the privilege of prayer. As, as we think about all the things we want to see accomplished in our lives or in our church or in our worlds, there's no greater power and no greater privilege than prayer. And yet, you know as well as I do, that in our, our sinfulness, which leads us to self-reliance, to think we don't need God as much as we do, or in our busyness of our world that we live in, which just pushes us to, to do lots of things, to be busy with lots of things all the time, it's so easy for prayer to slip away and, and not have the place in our lives that it should. Uh, I, th I think in some ways this is a, a particular danger for those who serve in pastoral ministry. Uh, a friend of mine in Australia who's a pastor told me about a time where he, he was on his way to a prayer meeting and as he was driving to this prayer meeting, he caught himself thinking, this is really annoying because I've got lots to do. I've got lots of work to do and prayer is keeping me from my work. And he said that as soon as he found himself thinking that, he just thought, you idiot. Prayer is your work. Prayer is your work. 
And I, I don't say that to single out people who are in pastoral ministry. There's no special category. The point is for all of us as Christian believers, prayer is at the heart of who we are. Prayer is our work. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Just think for a moment, what's on your heart right now that you're longing to see happen in your own life as the year gets into its routine? Might be something within your family life, might be something at school or uni, something in the workplace, could be something here at church, a particular ministry you're involved in or something that's really on your heart to see happening at church. Might be a relationship that particularly matters to you or there's stress and strain there. Whatever it is, the Bible's picture of prayer and Psalm 127 tells us unless God is the one who is at work in those situations, there's not going to be anything lasting, anything of eternal fruit that comes in those situations. What, what person do you think is so resistant to the gospel that they could never become a Christian? There's no such person in the world, is there? And I find myself thinking that all the time. I meet people at university, I meet people wherever in life, and I just go, they're not interested at all. They're never going to become a Christian. If God works in that person's life and taps them on the shoulder, nothing's going to stop them from coming to him. So as we think about all those questions, as we think about the things that we're longing to see happen in our lives, where we long to see God at work, let's... This morning, let me, let me encourage all of us to remember nothing is impossible with God. Let's recommit ourselves this morning to, to take hold of the incredible privilege of prayer. And it, sometimes as you talk about prayer, you, you feel guilty, you feel silly for not praying more. I felt that as I prepared this, trust me. Guilt can be good as long as we don't stay in guilt, as long as we move beyond it. So if you felt any of that, Pray that God would help you to see with clarity and with power that he's the one true God, that he invites us to pray, that he promises to hear and to answer. Let's pray that he'll help us to pray the way that we should, the way that we ought and the way that we can in this huge privilege that he's given us. Would you pray that with me now? Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are the one true God, that nothing is too hard for you, that you are able to do anything and that you're willing to hear us and to answer our prayers, that you long to hear from us. We confess, Father, that we don't pray the way that we should. And so we ask you to help us, Father. We pray that you would rid us of self-reliance, that you'd rid us of busyness, rid us of whatever else in our lives keeps us from praying to you as we should. Help us to remember the privilege of prayer, drive us to trust in you more and to express that through praying to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.